Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I will review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication and this week I am happy to announce that I am back um, and it's been a while since I have recorded. The last time I recorded was in October. It is currently December 2nd so it has been a while and I am back to review uh, not just a Stephen King story, but a Stephen King plus family story, his collaboration with his son, Owen King, the novel that came out in October, Sleeping Beauties. So I'm here finally to record Sleeping Beauties, everyone. Thank you for being so patient. Um, and everyone that is tuning in for the first time, um, welcome to the Stephen King cast. Uh, a couple things I want to just acknowledge up front. First and foremost is I don't have my microphone with me. Uh, my friend who also has a podcast uh, currently is borrowing it. Um, I did find some time right now to record this podcast. I had told him that he could borrow my microphone. So if the sound quality is not what it usually is or if you are a first-time listener and it's just not great, please understand that um, it, it, it usually sounds just a little bit better. Um, but, but here is the deal. Um, for those of you who are listening for the first time now and for longtime listeners might have um, uh, picked up on this on, on the last couple episodes and um, I, I have mentioned this on, on Twitter uh, recently. So in the last episode um, in which I reviewed the, the, the Netflix adaptation of 1922, I mentioned that I was moving. Um, and I was in the process of trying to sell my house and buy another house and my wife and I, we were ready for that next step in our lives. And so the, the reason why you have not heard from me in a while is because, um, life, because life guys, uh, because we, we found a house, we are selling this house. Um, and I, I thought that I would be able to continue to record, while um, continue the process of selling this house and buying another house, but I, I make a long story short, I wasn't able to do it. Spoiler alert. Um, I wasn't able to get any new episodes out. Um, the, the process itself was really time consuming. And so now I, I, I have about an hour in which I'm able to um, get some thoughts out. And um, it's an hour in which I don't have to pack anything up or move anything to the pod, or dump anything off at Goodwill, or contact my realtor, or lawyer, or lender, um, or work on my full-time job. I actually have an hour of time in which I'm able to talk about Stephen King and Stephen King-related stuff, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that because I've missed doing this. Um, I cannot stand when my favorite podcasts kind of go on impromptu hiatuses um, and I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they're not showing up in my feed. And I know that I have been doing that to you guys. And I do apologize for that. Um, so if you just bear with me for the next month or so, um, while I get through this stage in my life where I say goodbye to this current house and reestablish myself in the next house, um, routine and consistency will reassert itself. And then the podcast will pick up again um, on a more routine basis than it has been um, lately. But uh, this has been a pretty, pretty crazy busy time between um, getting everything ready to just sell for, for this house. That was the, the first and foremost thing that we needed to do was just 
get a buyer um, for, for our house before we could even begin looking at another house. So we were constantly, I'm sure that you hear my furry co-host in the background who was just going insane on the couch behind me. But we had to get our house just um, clean and ready at all times because at any point someone could uh, contact our realtor and say that they wanted to look at our house. And so we needed to, to keep it in a state of um, near near cleanliness at all times um, so we would be able to just drop anything um, at, at any given moment and uh, head out of here with the baby and the dogs and um, have strangers come into the house and, and check it out and like it and so thankfully as you heard on 1922 um, someone was interested they, they wanted the house and then from there on out we um, just started looking all over the place in the, in the near vicinity at houses that that might appeal to us and um, we, we found a place that that I think is gonna suit our needs and my child's needs and it's gonna be our forever home we're very excited we'll be moving in um, six days from now in less than one week uh, so it's it's really bittersweet we're gonna be saying goodbye to a house for the last uh, um, seven years or so um, has has kept us safe and warm um, and has been our home and uh, I have recorded every episode of the Stephen King cast here and uh, we have loved it it's been good for us for for my wife and myself and for my child and for our two dogs and um, so there was a whole process that I had to go through with with saying goodbye um, the, the first stage was denial and anger and it was kind of like just death um, it was like the, the grieving process, uh, process because I didn't want to say goodbye to this house because, um, we had a lot of good memories in this house, a lot of good moments in this house. And, uh, but it is time. It is time because the, the house isn't getting, isn't getting any bigger, but, um, you know, my, my kid is, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're only accumulating more stuff and it's, it's time. It's time for... Um, a new place and the place that we're gonna get is pretty awesome so I'm excited about it now and uh, so the next time that I record it will be from a new location a new uh, Stephen King cast cave I don't really have a look I haven't really officially titled what what I call the Stephen King cast recording studio but uh, but it it will be from the the new location so um, I do want to apologize to anyone that is just uh, going out of their mind listening to me talk about a house and not Stephen King related material because there has been some reviews on iTunes in which I have kind of been knocked for just rambling a little bit. Um, and I, I understand it, but I also understand that longtime listeners kind of enjoy that, that relationship um, that I have with you guys. So it's kind of a balance. Um, I know that when I listen to, 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 to podcast hosts um, after a long period of time and after engaging in many hours of listening that I, I kind of feel as though I know them and I, I kind of want to know what's going on in their lives. And so when they do share aspects of their lives, I am appreciative because I've spent so much time with them. So that's kind of what I'm doing with my listeners right now. So I, I apologize for talking at length about non-Stephen King related material if you are a first-time listener, but for long-time listeners... Here is my state of mind. Here is where I've been. I've missed you guys. I've missed talking about Stephen King. I haven't even touched Joe Hill's Strange Weather, and you know that I've been excited about that. Um, but I'm telling you, I just, 
buying a house while you own a house and trying to sell your current house while buying a new house and be a husband and a father and have a full-time job at the same time, it doesn't allow for a lot of time in the day. Go figure. And so I haven't been able to, to do the podcast, um, unfortunately. But here I am now. I'm here to be able to talk about um, uh, Sleeping Beauties. So I, I, I bought Sleeping Beauties the, the week it came out. And uh, it took me a long time to get through for all the reasons that I just mentioned. Um, but it wasn't because I didn't enjoy it. Um, every time I sat down to read it, all I wanted to do was just keep on reading it because I was really enjoying it. And I found it very fitting that I was reviewing a novel that was about the fundamental difference between the male and female experience. And it's all about relationships and trying to understand the opposite sex. And as this was occurring, my wife and I, we were um, going to embark on the, the next stage of our journey together, um, buying a new house um, for, for, for the two of us, for our child, for our relationship, for our family unit. Um, so it was really interesting for me to, to experience what ultimately, to, to read a, a story which was just kind of an examination on the 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 fundamental differences and the dissolution of of the the relationship between the female and 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 male um, relationships while my wife and I were were taking that next step in our lives together so it, it couldn't be any more different but of course it was it was linked um, together and it was it was a very very personal read um, for me. Um, for anyone, for any male, I would say, that is a um, self-reflective male in a relationship, um, I, I would imagine that Sleeping Beauties is a, a very personal uh, story to read. But I'll definitely get into that in a little bit. But first, before I get any further, I do want to um, read some um, iTunes reviews. Now, listen, I know that I have aggressively begged people in the past um, to 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 write some reviews on iTunes. Now, I have been going out of my mind lately because I haven't been able to record an episode, but I keep checking the iTunes reviews um, every day just to see if there's any new reviews, but it has been hovering at 189 ratings for about a month now, and I am literally begging anyone listening that if you have not written a review, please just take two or three minutes out of your lives to just write a review if you have enjoyed at any point listening to the Stephen King cast, because I, the, the 189 number is driving me insane. There, there's no reason why it shouldn't be at the very least 190. If it want, if you guys want to get it to 200. Thank you. That would be great. Um, clearly, that would be great. But um, I do have some competition. I would love to continue to be the highest-rated Stephen King uh, podcast that currently exists. Um, so if you do have a free couple minutes on your hands, a review would help me out mentally, um, and it would also help out the podcast um, immensely. So thank you for doing that um, up front for those of you who are going to heed my pleading words, um, 
thank you so much. But uh, I do have some reviews right now. Monkey Boy 846 writes, well done, a very well done journey through all of King's books and a lot of the adaptations. The structure is great and you can tell the host is a true constant reader. Um, so thank you, Monkey Boy 846. I have not been the, the, the truest, most constant reader over the last couple months, but uh, um, at my heart, I do like to believe that I am. So, so thank you. And then uh, Sants, S-O-N-T-Z, writes, The best, the best Stephen King podcast out there. Very insightful and well thought out. It's a must listen. So thank you very much. Um, and then Mr. Jenkins writes, The truth is out there. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but this is the only one-man podcast that I've come across that is worth listening to. Uh, constant reader, um, and that's in quotation marks. Um, so quote, uh, constant reader, unquote, is thoughtful and offers great insight on works of Stephen King and all things King-related. Oh, and though he never gives it, if you listen closely, our host's name is out there. Can you find it? Um, and uh, you know what? Um, I have hidden my name as much as possible, but I have to give it uh, Mr. Jenkins credit that it is it is out there in, in, uh, in one episode. Um, it, it, it does appear not... Uh, I could have edited it out, but it uh, it is there. Um, and Cooper O'Connor is not the name. That is my pseudonym um, for the stories that I've published. And if you listen to episodes um, earlier, you will hear me plugging Cooper O'Connor's uh, short stories that have been published. Um, I'm still plugging along at that. Um, so the, the next uh, time Cooper O'Connor gets published, I will definitely uh, let you guys know. But if you're interested in Cooper O'Connor's works... Um, Oh man, just uh, head back to some of the the earlier episodes um, from uh, from about a year ago, and you'll hear me plugging at the top of every episode <sighs> all the short stories in which I uh, plug Cooper O'Connor's stuff. Okay, so up next we have some emails. So first of all, we have Mike who writes, "Love the podcast." Thanks to your suggestion of Kadash Tet 19, I've got some nice King T-shirts in time for when uh, the 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 St. Louis uh, St. Louis Sleeping Beauties book tour. Here's the Robert England cameo. I would like to see when Adult Beverly comes back to Derry. He would be perfect as a replacement for Mrs. Kirsch scene slowly morphing into Freddy. Can't wait to see where the podcast will go in the future. Long days and pleasant nights. Mike White. So, Mike, thank you for writing in. A couple things here. Um, Mike is uh, referencing Kadash Tet 19. So, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I have been a long proponent of a particular t-shirt site that um, specializes in Stephen King related um, merchandise, and that is ka-tet19.com. And uh, the, listen, um, they are the real deal. Um, Matt Kellick uh, isn't a, some t-shirts that you can get online will just kind of um, press like a, like a sticky onto the t-shirt and then sell you a t-shirt. But, but Matt, um, he goes home every night, his hands are covered in ink because he is, um, creating art, um, a piece of art with every single t-shirt that he prints and it's legitimate. And, um, it, it sucks to see, um, what is occurring online. I'll scroll through Facebook and I will see his designs his actual designs um, be taken and um, stolen 
and imprinted on other t-shirt companies and it sucks. It really, really sucks. So there is a Losers Club um, t-shirt out there um, that has nothing to do with Cod Dash Tet 19, um, but they have taken his design and they've made it his uh, their own, and uh, it just makes me really, really mad because um, you can listen to the interview that I've had with Matt, and the guy is great. He's great. He loves Stephen King. He's a T-shirt artist, and he cares about his craft. Um, he has gone through all of the the right channels. So when you order through him, you you are acknowledging that you are. Um, working with someone that is working with Stephen King's lawyers and he has the copyrights for it and he's not ripping anybody off and money is going back to Stephen King on this. Um, so you are supporting um, an artist that has dedicated his life um, based on uh, the inspiration of Stephen King while supporting Stephen King at the same time. But if you just see an ad on uh, Facebook, um, for a t-shirt that you might like that might be inspired by Stephen King, there's nothing to say that uh, it, it is copyrighted and or the money is going to go back to Stephen King. But I can guarantee you 100% that if you do go to ka-tet19.net, um, you are going to get officially licensed Stephen King material. Um, and Matt has a couple new uh, t-shirts up. Um, that I think that everyone will enjoy. There is an O Discordia t-shirt that I think is really, really interesting. And he's currently working on an Enrico Balazar's uh, t-shirt that will be up for sale. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm, hey, as I'm recording this, I'm wearing a um, Gilead uh, Gunslingers Academy t-shirt um, with David the Hawk holding two pistols. Um, I just went out to, to dinner earlier tonight. <coughs> um, no one blinked an eye at what I was wearing. It just looked like a dope t-shirt. But uh, if anyone was a Stephen King slash Gunslinger fan, they would know exactly what this is. Um, so you, you're, you're getting really quality t-shirts and comfortable t-shirts that have a really great design. Um, but if you're ever to encounter another true constant reader, they're going to know exactly exactly what you are wearing um so it's just kind of like a really good badge of honor and that honor goes 100 percent to to matt kellick um so please check out his his website um just really all you gotta do is just type in kadash tet 19 t-shirts into google and uh his website will come up and you can thank me later and you can thank him later um the, the t-shirts are all appropriately priced um you're not you're not overspending your money and you're going to get really quality t-shirts that look good and he's branching out outside of the the dark tower realm into um other aspects of the the king literature um so th there's a lot of variety there so please please do yourself a, ch a favor and check it out so anyway to continue with the emails um uh tommy writes hello I'm so glad that the Stephen King cast is back on a part-time basis. Really missed your uh, literary analysis, news briefs, theories, and rants on all things King. Wanted to let you know that I recently, recently finished up an advanced reader's copy of Sleeping Beauties, co-written by Owen King from work. Um, and this clearly was before um, uh, the book was published for all of us to, to get it, but... Uh, um, Tommy continues, I adored the book. The bookstore I work at um, is hosting the father and son duo at Bard College this September. 
two days after the book was released for a talk, and I was one of the few who got to read the new novel and have the opportunity to work with the authors before the presentation. Although I am not familiar with Owen King's style, I still have to pick up Double Feature. I plan to do so in 2018. I found a freshness and sharpness to the overall writing that I have not found in Stephen King's previous books. Compared to Mr. Mercedes and his other most recent works, this is a fast-paced novel in the vein of Under the Dome, 112263, and The Stand. I loved it, and I think that most of us constant readers will love it. I am also currently reading I'm an advanced reader's copy of Joe Hill's new collection, Strange Weather, that comes out in late October just for Halloween. Strange Weather makes up for his overwriting in The Fireman tenfold. That novel really let me down. I'm about halfway through the second story loaded, and I cannot put it down. If you don't mind, I would like to bring to you and all your listeners the attention of a few horror novels that I loved. First up is The Fisherman by John Langan and it's the winner of the 2016 Bram Stoker Award, and rightly so. It is a creepy Hudson Valley ghost story that lasted me three days. I'm going to stop right there. I did order The Fisherman this summer. I started reading it, um, and spoiler alert, just want to give you guys a heads up. Um, it involves the death of a child um, right away. Now, I started reading it in June of, of the summer, and um, it had been a little bit since I had actually sat down and, and really read anything, and I, uh, it's heavy. It, it starts out very, very heavy and morose and somber, as it should be if it's going to begin with the death of a toddler. So I really, so for listeners of the show, know that I, I have a, a daughter that is currently 20 months old, she is 100% my life. She's the reason we're moving to provide for her a better future, the whole nine yards. So for me to sit down in summer when my work schedule is a little bit more free and it's summer and summer it connotes freedom and um, happiness and lightness and, you know, all of that. Um I started reading the book. I wanted to read the book. I had good. I had heard good things about it, but what the book was did not align with what I needed my um, spiritual self to be at that moment. And I needed to just put it down. It was. It was just too heavy at that point in my life for me to get any enjoyment out of not just the book, but out of living. Um, so I, I, I could not read it at that time, which isn't to say that I'm not going to go back and read it because I definitely ordered it for a reason. I mean, I do want to get to it. Instead, I read Meddling Kids. Um, and for anyone that has enjoyed the Stephen King, uh, Renaissance, um, and being in the reign of the King as we currently exist, which culminated with, uh, it and we have, Kids on bikes and investigating um, extraterrestrial horror, then I think that you will enjoy meddling kids, which very much feels like the Scooby gang grown up going back to their, their hometown um, with their, their, their greatest childhood mystery reemerging. Um, it's very stylized. Don't like don't mistake this for a Stephen King story. It's it's a very overstylized um, almost comic booky approach to um, storytelling, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and for those of you who enjoy Blumhouse Pictures, the 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 the, the studio which releases um, movies for um, uh, that don't 
uh, cost a lot budget-wise, but wound up raking a lot of money back um, in terms of profit. They have a publishing division, and this was the first book that they had from the, the publishing division, and um, I strongly recommend Meddling Kids. That's what I chose to read instead of The Fisherman um, this past year's. Anyway, uh, Tommy continues, Tales of Falling and Flying and Stories for Nighttime and Some for the Day by Ben Lurie. Um... Are two Penguin Random House paperback originals that I came across this summer at work, written in an idiosyncratic uh, style that is reminiscent of Rod Sterling's best Twilight Zone episodes mixed with grim fairy tales and Hans Christian Andersen's tales. Lurie's stories are short, consistent, weird, absurd, beautiful, majestic, strange, and off-putting. Um, a Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, winner of the 2015 Bram Stoker Award, is an incredible self-aware exorcism story that touches on fandom and the lives of a D-list celebrity. Um, Paperbacks from Hell by Grady Hendrix and Will Erickson. PFH, once you check it out online and find out what it is, it's going to be on everyone's Halloween and Christmas list. Hendrix details the rise and fall of horror paperback originals from the early 60s and 70s and late 90s. In full color, we get just a snapshot of the great artwork and features on artists. I love this book for its weird history and its art. Strangely enough, there's not one Stephen King cover in here. So if you're looking to broaden your horizons with some weird stuff, this is ground zero for discovery. Thank you for all your hard work. I'm constantly amazed at the lengths you go to to make such an incredible and thorough podcast. Long days and pleasant nights, Tommy. Tommy, may you have twice the number. Jennifer writes, Dear Constant Reader, Thank you so much for your fantastic review of Gerald's Game. I watched it last night with my husband and wanted to share some thoughts. I read this book back in high school around the time it came out and don't really remember much about it other than the degloving scene and the creepy space cowboy. Years later, I married a man who... Okay, so I just want to stress to you guys. Um, heads up, this email gets intense. So Jennifer, um, though I have not been able to write back to you, um, I do want to take the, the, the time right now. I, I, I have had a couple emails like this um, in which uh, a, a female writer... Um, or a female listener comes forward and shares some trauma that they have experienced. And um, it's very appropriate that I'm reading this during the Sleeping Beauties uh, review during a time in which there is sexual assault occurring, or not necessarily occurring, but it is coming to the forefront um, in our collective unconscious right now. Um, so I just, first of all, before I get any further... Though I haven't been able, and I'm not speaking to anyone else right now other than Jennifer. So Jennifer, if you are listening right now, um, I will write to you. And when I do write to you, I will reiterate what I am saying right now. And it hopefully will be a little bit better than, than what I say. But um, look, the, the fact that you have told me this um, and have allowed me to share it with everybody else shows a level of strength the likes of which I currently do not possess. And um, I just want to thank you for letting me know what you have gone through. Um, and th the fact that you have gone through this and have come through this a stronger person demonstrates a, like I said, a, a level of strength um, that I can't even imagine. And I hope that my daughter... Um, will possess and I myself um, 
will hope to be able to, to, to have some level of your strength. And I hope that anyone listening to the email that I'm about to read, um, whether you uh, be uh, male or female, I, I hope that you are able to learn from and have some empathy um, and be able to take what Jennifer is about to share with you and basically just keep your eyes open um, so that if you do see anything uh, along the lights of, of which Jennifer writes, you are able to, to, to help um, the, the person that, that might need some help and put a stop to any, any sort of predation that, that you might see. Because in 2017, right now, um, we are in a position where we are talking more about this subject. And I think that is a, uh, that's a good thing. And I think that right now, we need to just be there for each other. And Jennifer, what you're doing right now, you are being strong. And you are sharing your story. And I thank you for that. And I hope that by you sharing your story... You help give strength to others in need. Um, as a white um, male, I unfortunately um, have not had to endure struggles, the likes of which others um, who are not white males, um, they, they, others have struggled um, because they are not born white male. Um, so I, I do hope that if you are a white male and you do hear emails like this and you do, and you do hear stories that are being shared along these lines, I, I hope that you do keep an eye open and I do hope that you are empathetic and I hope that you do just listen um, and you reflect upon what um, these stories are and what it means to be a male and what it just means to, to be a male in a patriarchal society and how you can help out. So um, this is a long preface to this email, but I think that it is important to note before I read the email, and I think that's important to note um, that this is an email that is taking place within a review of um, Stephen King and Owen King's Sleeping Beauties. Um, so, um, I'm going to continue here and Jennifer writes, I read this book back in high school around the time it came out and didn't really remember much about it other than the, the degloving scene in the creepy space cowboy. Years later, I married a man who assaulted me on many occasions throughout the course of our three year relationship. So on my second reading, it felt a little different. I'm currently going through a chronological reread and listening to your podcast along the way, and I got to Gerald's game right around the time the Hollywood Access tape was leaked. For those of you who have been living in a bunker uh, for a couple years now, the Hollywood Access tape um, refers to a very prominent politician in the United States of America. Uh, Jennifer continues, without going into too much detail about my personal story, Big Little Lies on HBO is a pretty accurate portrayal. For those of you who have not watched Big Little Lies, um, it really is an incredible show. I strongly recommend it. Um, Nicole, Kim, Nicole Kimmon gives a hell of a performance, um, and there's one scene in particular 
Um, it takes place, I believe, in the last episode in which she's talking to one of her sons. Um, and the way in which she talks to that child is so powerful and um, really she's just a really good parent in that moment and they just nailed it in that scene but the entire show it's good um, it is really really good and that last episode when I watched that when my wife and I watched that there was just there was more tension in that episode, in that hour of television that I experienced in a long time. So, Jennifer continues, Without going into too much detail about my personal story, Big Little Lies on HBO is a pretty accurate portrayal. The PTSD I developed right after my divorce really ramped up again. I started equating the president with my ex-husband, and both of them turned into a larger-than-life boogeyman that started to affect my day-to-day life and my relationships with my family. I did get help, and it's working, but it was really Gerald's game, Dolores Claiborne, and Rose Matter that helped me through the root of the problem. I had not fully dealt with or even really been honest with myself about what had happened to me. Rose Matter, in particular, helped me uncover a specific memory that I had been repressing, and I will be forever grateful to King for showing me Rose's reoccurring anger in the denouement of her story because that's something I also struggled with. These three books really gave me the courage to confront my past and vocabulary and context to start thinking about it again. I watched Gerald's game with my second husband and cried at the end, which led to a really good conversation about what the movie and the book meant to me. He knows most of what had happened and it's incredibly supportive, but it's hard to really put into words how it feels. I'm so glad we were able to watch this movie together. I know you thought the ending was a little cheesy, and I can see where you're coming from, but I was so taken by the story and so on Jesse's side that I didn't even notice. I'm glad I got to see, hear her say to her younger self, um, because it wasn't the worst thing that has ever happened to anyone doesn't mean that it was nothing. But the worst thing that happened wasn't the abuse, but the manipulation and the secret. I'm so glad that Mike Flanagan included her foundation for abuse survivors, showed a man dealing with sexual abuse, and added that she tells her story every day. It was, um, parentheses, is really hard for me to tell my story, but it does help. Most of all, I'm glad that I heard her say that last line. That last scene may have been a little cheesy, but I was really moved by watching her confront um, Joe Bear and seeing the faces of her father and husband flash back and forth. It felt like seeing the confrontation that I will most likely never have. Hearing her say, you're so much smaller than I remember, was so meaningful and cathartic for me. The turning point in my recovery was when I finally started looking at pictures of my ex-husband again. He looked so sad and pathetic. Seeing him for what he really is and realizing that he is no longer a threat to me is what finally started me down the road to feeling safe again, and I'm so glad that I got to see that for Jesse. Overall, I feel that both Flanagan and King really understood what they were taking on and did a great job of presenting a tough topic in a way that felt meaningful without being reductive, patronizing, or insulting. One Easter egg, Jesse's father says we have to take our medicine when talking about telling her mom. Subtle nod to another abusive father in King's work. And I would have to say yes. 
I also love the line at the end that was something like, the people who are supposed to protect us from the monsters turn out to be the monsters. I thought that was a nice connection to it and a good uh, through line for King's work in general. Thanks again for all of your hard work. As a parent of young children, I know that it's hard to do other things, but I'm glad that you're back. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the breathing method, and I appreciate you taking the time to create such thoughtful content. I'm working my way through the Dark Tower and have some thoughts, but this is already super long, so we'll have to wait for another day. Stephen Kingcast was my first and favorite podcast and holds a special place at the top of my podcast list. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer, um, look... Um, I get emails, and I'm going to continue reading emails, and uh, nothing against emails from anyone that writes, because I just want your guys' story, but every now and then I get a story that is uh, just, it's just more, it's just more, and yours, I just thank you for sharing your story, and thank you for sharing your pain, and thank you for sharing your strengths. Um, like I said earlier, I hope anyone listening that has gone through something, that you you take something from Jennifer, and I, 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 I hope that anyone listening that has gone through any sort of abuse can see that Jennifer's gone through it, and she has gotten through it. And what a compliment to Stephen King that... Um, through his works of Gerald's Game, Dolores Claiborne, Rose Matter, and I'll also probably say um, Insomnia, I'm, I'm projecting on that one, but um, his empathy towards um, towards women in abusive relationships, uh, it, it can help heal. I, I think that that really speaks to the nature of what stories can do, that it's not just escapism, but it's also therapy. Um so I hope that, uh, Jennifer, I imagine that someone out there is listening to this right now, and hopefully uh, your story that I am reading is helping them. I can only hope that that is the case. So thank you for sharing, um, and for anyone listening, please, please know that you are not alone, and um, others have, have gone through what you are going through um, and you are cared for, and you can get through it too. On a less heavy note, um, Matt writes, Good day, constant reader. Good day, Matt. I want to start off by thanking you for your podcast. For the past couple of months, I've immensely enjoyed your thoughts on my favorite King works, and I usually listen to a new episode every day during my evening bike rides or my daily work commute. The subject of my message might seem... Sorry, might seem like it's coming out of left field since it's not commentating on it, Gerald's game, or other recent King news. I re recently finished reading the Dark Tower series for only the first time since my original reading when I was 15, only a couple years after book 6 and 7 were published. I've also finished listening to your episodes and bonus episodes dedicated to each entry in the series. Upon reading the ending, I found myself pondering the same questions that came to my mind years ago, and I would love to hear your insights. Apologies if you've already addressed these thoughts on your podcast at some point, but I don't recall that being the case. Also, obviously spoilers are abound, so if you chose if you choose to read this on the show, I recommend giving your listeners a fair warning. So, spoiler alert. Here are my questions. 
Do you think that anything was ever wrong with the tower in the first place? To me, the ending almost implies that the tower's main purpose is to test and or judge the presence of Roland's soul and his goodness. If the tower is really, uh, really was in danger of falling, would you not assume that allowing the entry of one who wants to fix it is more important than teaching that person a lesson for damning himself by his actions? If Tower Slash Gone is able to continually reverse time to force Roland to relive his journey, are the beams breaking of any consequence since any damage to the tower would be reversed upon Roland's next cycle? That is a great question. And I'm not sure um, because Roland does see time or does see realities bleeding into each other. But the, the thing is, like, Midworld is falling apart, but... Um, the other worlds aren't necessarily falling apart. Uh, so that, that that's a great question. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a trap or not. And if it's not a trap and Roland is honestly trying to find the tower to save the tower and the tower is in danger, what does that say about the nature of reality? That it is, um, it is currently falling apart. And for those of us who are living... Um, in December of 2017, the, the 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 tax the tax bill was just voted on in the Senate, and it's a, a very obvious um, uh, attack on on uh, working people in the middle class, and it's it's very much a transparent uh, tax break to, to corporations and uh, the wealthy at the expense of, of people that, that, that kind of need breaks. Um, and so for us right now to discuss reality falling apart and surreality taking over and the unimaginable becoming just reality, it is very fitting that we are living in a time where just the, the craziest things that we could think of occurring in, in our politics and in our legislature and in our reality, um, they are taking place. Um, it's a very, very interesting question to be asking at this time. And he continues, building slightly off the previous question, do you think that the health of Roland and the tower are connected and the tower perhaps being a physical manifestation of his own soul? Uh, yes, I believe that that's 100% accurate. That, as Roland continues to lose his soul over his quest, so does the tower continue to weaken, question mark. Uh, yeah, completely. Um, and I think that that fits perfectly with, um, with uh, the, the fact that it is also connected with more traditional literature, which, uh, sorry, it is late. The, the king and his kingdom were connected. So when the king was sick, the, uh, the, the, the kingdom would, would fall into famine. And likewise, if the, the kingdom would fall into famine, the, the king would grow sick. So it is no coincidence that the gunslinger is uh, symbolized by a gun, um, which also holds the, the same shape um, as a tower itself. So um, the, the, the tower and the gun barrel are, are very similar in nature, and that is um, basically to just uh, state that the, the gunslinger himself uh, can just be superimposed um, over the, the, the tower. Um, so, in, and uh, he continues, uh, perhaps when Roland first glimpsed the tower and its impending danger in Merlin's grapefruit in his youth, he was actually seeing a vision of the destruction of his own humanity, which became a self-fulfilling prophecy as it compelled him to set off on his journey in the first place. Yep, 
And finally, is there any possible scenario where a redeemed and whole Roland makes the tower alive? Or is there the only possibility for his salvation to die a hero's death by sacrificing himself to save one or all of his quartet? Um... You know what? When you ask me this right now, my answer right now would be uh, no. Roland's sacrifice and his redemption is that he dies before he heads to the tower. That he acknowledges that others can take up the cause um, in his stead. And he doesn't need to be the one to get to the tower. As long as the tower is saved and as long as he has passed on his mission to others, he is then really fulfilling the concept of the Quartet. Um, because even though he, he proclaims that he understands Kotet and he lives by Kotet, he doesn't because it's really all about Roland and his obsession, his mission, his journey, and everyone else can be sacrificed in order for him to, to achieve his journey. So if he puts the others above his own journey and he believes in the others around him in order to take on his cause in his own death, then yes... Um, I kind of think that his redemption is his death before he gets to the tower because ultimately he believes that he should save the tower. Um, and the tower must be, no, I should say that he believes that the tower should be saved and he is taking it upon himself to save the tower. But if he surrounds himself with others that can do the same, then he can die and let the others take up his cause in his stead. So um, I believe that there is, as long as he makes it to the tower, he'll continue going around um, on the cycle because it means that others will have had to die in order for him to get to the tower. So I think that the only way for him to be redeemed is for him to understand that he can die, not necessarily has to die, but can die before he gets to the tower. Okay, and so that was Matt. Matt, thank you for writing in. Okay, guys, so where we're at right now, we are 45 minutes. Sorry, I've been rambling for a while. Um, 45 minutes, and I haven't even gotten to my review of Sleeping Beauties yet. Um, so at this time, I would love to read the Wikipedia summary, um, but there is no Wikipedia summary for me to read from, so I do apologize for that. Um, so I'm just going to jump right into the review, guys. Uh, this book, I really enjoyed it. To make a long story short, I had never read anything by Owen King before. Clearly, I've read everything pretty much by Stephen King, but nothing by Owen King. I've been a, uh, a, a fan of Joe Hill, but nothing by Owen. So I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I was hooked, hooked right away. And um, if I hadn't been moving and selling this house, buying another house, packing everything up, trying to, to live my life, be a husband, be a father, and um, have a full-time job, I uh, would have plowed through Sleeping Beauties and record this episode um, within the, the couple days of the book's publication. Uh, but it was it was great. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, with a, a vast cast of characters, um, with a, just a just a, a slow and unfolding uh, doom of, of, of a particular apocalypse, the, the, the escalation that occurs once the, the shit hit the fan, um, and the shit, in this case being the, the women um, falling uh, asleep, 
this feels to be um i i would say that this is a companion piece to the stand actually um so much more than than i would say any other king book um that that the king's ever written or in this case co-written but uh this to me felt very very much like the stand um and i know that some people would say that um a companion piece of the stand is you know the dark tower series or rise of the dragon and that's all because you know flag is in it um spoiler alert but uh this to me in terms of pace um and and, and balance between um just the, the, the otherworldliness, I, I just felt that this was very much a, a very strong companion piece to, to King's classic End of the World story. Ultimately, though, e even though it, it features an End of the World um, problem, uh, the, the point is not on, 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 on this otherworldly our place, right? It is... Um, it's, it's the, the focus isn't the, 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 the magic tree or even Eve. I mean, the, the point of this, um, this book, Sleeping Beauties, it, it's the relationship, right? It's the relationship between women and men. Um, and I, I need to be honest here. Um, it's December 2nd as I'm reading this. Uh, I read this book um, against the backdrop um, of the torrential downpour of, of, of sexual assault stories that, that just hit us during the entire month of, of November of 2017. Harvey Weinstein, uh, Kevin Spacey, um, uh, Matt Lauer is the most recent one, Al Franken, um, just name after name after name, Jer Jeremy Piven, uh, um, just it seems every day you, you wake up, you, you pick up your phone, and you look in the, the headline, it's naming someone else, right? Um so it just feels that this book was written specifically for the time period, this particular time period. And, and, and remember that this year, 2017, 2017, it kicked off with the Women's March in January of 2017. So everything that occurred um, in our place in the book, uh, it just, to me, it, it just felt like a very natural progression of uh, our current state of existence. And so this book, guys... Um, just in terms of thematic content, um, it, it was very, very appropriate for the time. But with all of that said, even if it didn't take place in 2017, you know, if this was published in 2014 or 2026, whenever, it, it would still be a good read because it's a well-written book. I mean, it, it, the, the, the buildup, it's strong. I mean, we immediately meet Eve. We want to know who she is. We don't know who she is, I, but but she's alluring. We we want to know more about her. This leads to uh, the aurora sickness starting to spread, hits the United States of America, and what is a global situation. It winds up getting distilled into just a small town drama, which in of itself will just serve as the battleground for the fate of of uh, the human race. We get glimpses on what's going on with the rest of the world, but the focus will always remain in dueling Pennsylvania, and um, that 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 the 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 idea to focus on this small town, um, it, it kind of just captures um, 
the best of both worlds of, of Stephen King books, which he's great at small towns and he is great at, at, at the, the, his epic scale. And then at the heart of it, it isn't the, the Aurora sickness. It isn't the, the webs spinning around the, the, uh, the sleeping women. Um, it isn't about Evie. It, it, what it is that I, I would say that the heart of this, it's about a relationship between a husband and wife. And that is, uh, it's a story of Lila and Clint. Um, and even though the book, I guess, technically is about the mystery of women falling asleep, um, just as alluring, it's the mystery at, at the heart of the marriage of Lila and Clint. And everything that plays out really is just a thematic extension of their marriage. Um, and, and I thought that that was so powerful with... Um, and it wouldn't have been powerful if uh, King Squared, King and King, King Squared, uh, hadn't created um, two very fully fleshed out uh, leads. And um, I, I could have read an entire book just about the marriage of these two without any supernatural context. Um, that's how strong it was. I mean, once the, the, the mystery of... Clint's past is solved. I'm going to get into the whole Clint-Lila thing later on. I mean, the the true conflict uh, emerges here. So to make a long story short, we, we have all the women in the world falling asleep. And uh, Clint is at the, the prison and Eve is at the prison. And then um, the true conflict comes into being. Um, Clint has to keep Evie safe. And the novel then winds up turning into... It goes from this, this global pandemic to basically just a survivalist thriller um, and a prison siege movie. Like, it, it just winds, it, it continues to evolve so that we are always kept on our toes. And I really appreciate that um, by, by the authors. Um, I mean, ba basically by the end, I mean, it's, it's, it's an end of the world scenario, the likes of which we've always seen. Um, and we see a lot in, you know, The Walking Dead, except it's not... <sighs> Sorry, guys. I, I apologize for keep yawning, but it's 1130 at night and I really want to get this out. So if that means that there's a couple yawns in there, um, there's a couple yawns in there. Um, but I'm just really trying to, to get you guys a new episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have our, um, our end of the world scenarios playing out all the time on television, Sunday nights, whether it's Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, you know, zombies are in, you know, we love our zombie stories. And um, we kind of get that here, except it's not zombies uh, that they're holding back at the end. It's, it's men. It's men. I mean, uh, Clint and uh, everyone at the prison, they're just trying to hold back men. Men are the zombies, men are the monsters. And that's an, an an important and really interesting uh, concept to think about. I mean, because this is a very relevant socio-political thriller. Uh, and like I said, it's coming out at the perfect time. This is a story about women's rage and, and women's rightful rage being unleashed. I mean, think about what happens when um, y y you take the, the, the webbing and the cocoons off of a, a woman's face. I mean, they go insane. You will die. It's about women's rage and deservedly so. I mean, how much, like, I am a 36-year-old man 
that, you know, I don't have to worry about um, anything that a, a woman has to, to worry about. I do have to worry it vicariously through my daughter and through my wife, you know, but um, personally that, 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 that selfish part of me doesn't have to worry about it simply because how I've been born. But I, one thing that's been great about 2017 is that I think that women have had enough and said, listen, we are not just going to let people and men just sit by and not listen or care anymore. We're going to make you care. And I think that that is why this book is so resonant right now um, because that, that, that anger that women feel at being treated like second-class citizens making less money than their male counterparts, um, having to, to, to pay for, for feminine products, which is basically just a punishment for how they are born, um, and, and the, the women's rights uh, being stripped away, and basically the fact that every day that, that we take in 2017 as we head into 2018 takes us seemingly one day closer to the reality that was displayed in Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, women have a right to be angry and that anger is very, very present um, in Sleeping Beauties. So this is very much a novel of its time. Um, but You know, I mean, basically, what one way of looking at it is this is a story that involves women falling asleep, okay? So it is a story about falling asleep and ultimately waking up, and I really think that King Squared here was playing with the concept of being woke. Um, I, I don't mean to sound trite about this, but I, I really do think that as the women fall asleep, the men are forced to be woke. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the term woke, um, it, it means that you have been awakened to another point of view, another perspective, um, and you are more empathetic than you might have been when you were quote-unquote unwoke aka asleep um so for this novel it it forces the, the the women being forced to go to sleep forces the men to become awake aka woke and i i think that that is i think that's incredibly clever you know this is basically just mother earth's response to our treatment of 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 one half of the population, you know, and we see that um, with every interaction between a male and a female, whether it be Don Peters, whether it be um, Frank Geary, whether it be all of the locker room talk of Eric and the boys, locker room talk, of course, being a very famous um, phrase now, because even though uh, horrible quote-unquote locker room talk was leaked in the Access Hollywood tape, which was referenced earlier, someone went and became present because of it. Because it's accepted. It's accepted that quote-unquote boys will be boys and boys can say horrible things and, and, and treat women terribly. Um, and it's, it's, it's accepted in our society. And this, is, this novel is a complete condemnation of that concept. Um, you know, this is not just about women sleeping um, or the statement of their rage. 
unleashed upon waking. Uh, but King Squared um, makes pains to show women just just having enough. You know, it's just I mean, I'm glad to see women having enough, whether it's Lila having enough of what she believes to be uh, Clint's lies, um, whether it's uh, Mickey's producer running out and um, raging um, against a scientist who is just um, belittling the, the, the Aurora sickness as mass hysteria with the implication that women are susceptible to such a thing. You know, I mean, I'm, it's important that these little... Um, vignettes and uh, nuances occur within the story because it's so relatable and we see these insults occurring on a daily basis and so it just makes that rage and that anger so much more potent. I mean it, it is a relevant, relevant uh, social-political thriller um, and it just really just speaks to masculinity and, and, and misogyny. I mean we see misogyny throughout this novel. I mean, I, I mean, it takes place at a correctional, you know, um, facility, um, and one of the, the first characters that we meet is Don Peters. You know, his thoughts on women, the treatment of women, you know, mirror the thoughts of many, and I'm going to use that term again, unwoke men out there, some of whom may or may not have recently been elected into office. You know, like I said, you know, this, I'm reading this as... Weinstein is occurring, and I, I, I've mentioned Weinstein, I've mentioned Kevin Spacey, I've mentioned um, Matt Lauer, um, uh, um, what's in face, the, the senator from Alabama that's running right now, um, he, who's probably going to win. Um, it just every day there's something new, every day there is something new um, that, that, that we're getting in, in which... Um, turns out that uh men are awful that's what it comes down to a lot of men are awful and men not men are awful that's not fair to everyone that does the right thing but men in power men in power can do the wrong thing that's what it comes down to and um i mean just just look at 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 at, at don peters at at eric um, at, at Frank Geary, they're, they're all dangerous men in different ways. Don is sociopathic. Eric is the, the, what was that guy? Brock Turner? Is that the name? Um, that's basically who Eric is. He's just this entitled, protected, uh, young male who can do whatever he wants. Um, and, and women are different than he. And, that is dangerous. That is a dangerous thought, um, because all aspects of masculinity in this book they're examined. You know, a, a bright light is shined upon this concept of masculinity and, and how it negatively infects um, affects um, women. And no facet in this concept is is unexplored. So I mentioned Don. I mentioned Eric. Um, you know, but even with Jared, who isn't. He's one of our heroes, but I mean, like, with him, he's not, he's not great. He's not perfect. He is a beta male. He's allowed himself to be friend-zoned, and, and we see him. I mean, at one point, he gets slapped in the face because in his beta maleness, you know, he uses the, the, the P word um, uh, negatively, and Mickey puts him in his place. 
and says, don't you use that to mean weak? Um, and I'm sure he didn't mean anything by it, but how often do we see that happening? You know, um, so we see Jared, um, and when he's faced, even when, and Jared is faced with the, uh, the alpha male, Eric, you know, the rival to his love interest, he, he, he chooses deception. He's hiding from them. He's recording them from the bushes. Um, he's caught and rather than face them, he runs. So he's our beta male, um, and then, you know, he, after, after that occurs, you know, he is questioning his own quote unquote masculinity. Um, so masculinity, even though the, the, the book itself deals with women falling asleep, masculinity very much is at the heart of, of this as well. I mean, we have Anton, the pool boy. Um, he's this selfish Romeo. He's so focused on his business and his body and his sex life that he doesn't have time um, for empathy for his mother or the moral consequences that come with infidelity um, by being the he's literally the pool boy you know <laughs> and and sleeps with local married women you know we have don peters like i said he's the sociopathic um sexual assaulter who just he just hates women and then we have um frank geary who is just the personification personification of just male rage and all the the worst aspects of of male anger so we have um basically every facet of misogyny and masculinity ex examined here um positive masculinity negative masculinity and um it uh no stone is unturned here and um you know which leads me to uh let's talk about clinton lila you know, I mean, at the heart of this, as the women are falling asleep, as we're, you know, thinking about what's going to happen next, I mean, the heart of this here is this soap opera mystery of Sheila, who we are led to believe is Clint's secret daughter from um, a former love interest, Shannon. And it takes up about 200 pages to begin with, um, but the length of it works for a couple reasons. One, the thoughtlessness of the the husband um dominates and it casts a shadow over the narrative um and completely casts a shadow over lila's narrative you know reinforcing um the triumph once the women wake up in our place you know lila has to break out of the cocoon that her husband has wrapped her in and secondly um you know, it's just a well-done, honest human mystery that drives the human component of the story forward. I mean, without moments like these, the story would just get lost in the high concept of the sleeping beauties, the aurora sickness. But thankfully, the story has not one but two kings to guide it, and it allows for the authors to take a breath from the action and dive into the mysterious past of Clint Norcross, which is tragic and hopeful and sad knowing that his future is tainted by his actions of the past. His meeting with the, the manic pixie dream girl Shannon is both a trope of hyper-stylized femme fatale love interests, and it's also a well-designed and believable love story, all the more impressive with how little time we spend with them. You know, and it's really important to note that both of the kings do such a good job really making us think that Clint has really screwed up here, that he's a monster for impregnating his, his former love interest and um, cheating, cheating while married with Lila. But, uh, you know, ultimately it turns out, no, 
Clint hadn't done anything wrong. You know, I mean, the climax of the mystery, it's, it, 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 it's, it's purposely unfulfilling. You know, and that lack of zing, you know, leads to the real truth behind, you know, Lila's, you know, suspicion slash turned obsession. You know, she, it really wasn't about the girl. It wasn't about Shannon. You know, it was about, you know, the fact that she had projected her buried frustrations about her husband and her marriage onto this phantom daughter. You know, it was about the pool and it was about Clint quitting his job and not consulting with her on these things and it was about these these moments that occurred these two big moments and i'm sure a million little moments that occurred throughout the duration of their relationship which just ate away at the trust um and so really it doesn't matter if this book is about cocooned women sleeping it's really about truth and the relationships that we have with our significant others and how important it is to be honest, you know? that, And because that lack of honesty led to the dissolution of this marriage. And the fate of the world rests not on Evie, not on God coming down from the heavens, but on the husband and wife of the Norcross family, the husband believing that he's saving the sleeping women of dueling and the wife believing that she's saving the quote-unquote woke women of our place. So even though there's a high concept surrounding the, you know, the edges here at its core, it's about a marriage. And it's really, really well done. Um... You know, and then we also have Clinton Frank, you know. I mean, Frank is 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 made up to be such an important character at the beginning. We think that he's such a danger because of his anger. And uh the, the closer you look at Frank and the closer that you look at Clint, you see that the two of them are basically just foils for one another. You know, one is consumed by rage, the other had conquered that rage for now. Um, one works at a women's prison, the other is a dog catcher. I mean, both of them are in the business of working with locked up individuals and both genuinely care for them. But Clint is a man that has risen above his uh, base animal emotions and is characterized as a man who works with humans, while Frank, who is defined by his animalistic rage and his animalistic survival, his protective instincts, works with animals. Both men are on the outs with their women. Um, so they're, they're great foils for one another. You know, and what's interesting is that Evie implores both of the men to save the women. She asks Clint to keep her safe while simultaneously asking Frank to save them by killing her. As a result, she's asking these two men who have come to stand in for warring aspects of men's character to fight for the survival of the other gender. King Squared has teased uh, Clint's rage-fueled background and positioned him as a man who had uh, put it in the past for a life of rationality, but um, had a part of him that wanted to go animalistic again. And they show us how Frank's rage again and again, um, and though he displays violence towards others, the, the moment that sticks the most is the terrible moment of pulling his daughter's shirt and scaring her in his rage. There's no abuse she isn't physically harmed. She's just hurt and scared 
and it comes on the day when she has her first period. It's another way of showing the way in which the patriarchy will go at any length to dominate, um, which is unfortunate. A defining feminine moment in her development towards womanhood has now been corrupted, sullied, and overtaken by the masculine rage. And the fact that King Squared keeps going back to that moment is the touchstone for his rage and his weakness. So the authors have established these two characters as characterized by rage and violence. So by being on opposite sides of the survival of the female gender, we expect a major showdown. But despite the fact that, yes, there are casualties, and the prison becomes a little literal war zone, when it comes to the testosterone-fueled main event WrestleMania throwdown over a woman, to the point where not only do we not get a fight between the two, the closest thing we have to a catharsis in the book is in the conclusion of the novel when they both find themselves in the same bar. Lila, meanwhile, mourns the life she's left behind but accepts the potential and the freedom of our place. The conclusion of the novel hit me like a gut punch. I mean, I was really rooting for these two characters to reunite with one another, each having survived the apocalypse. But though they reunite, they do not have a traditional happy ending where they've learned lessons and bettered themselves for one another. I just mentioned how they survived the apocalypse, and, and yeah, if you consider the Aurora sickness, yeah, they survived the apocalypse, but um, this is a fantasy novel. It's a, it's a high-concept fantasy novel. It's a high-concept version of men are from Mars, women are from Venus. You know, Even though men and the women were both hit with the same catastrophe, their experiences could not have been any more different. And though Clint might have thought that his journey would save his marriage, he was so focused on what he thought was right, he didn't stop to think about what was best. And as a result, at the very, very end, you can see, you can see, the marriage just falls apart. Uh, okay, everyone, so the hour is getting late, and I am uh, getting a little bit tired, so I'm going to uh, finish it off here. Um, before I, I end, I'm going to read off some Stephen Kingisms. Um, so for those of you who don't know what Stephen Kingisms are, these are the tricks and traits and tropes that we see from, uh, from one Stephen King story to the next. Um, and first and foremost, we have the car crash. Um, of course, car crashes are featured prominently in Stephen King's works, dating as far back as Carrie. Um, and here... Um, Jared Norcross is hit by a car and I wonder if it was hard for for Owen to, to write this scene with his dad because his father was famously in uh, was hit by a car on uh, June 19th 1999 the second one is prison uh, clearly we have seen prisons before in Stephen King's works Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption the Green Mile and, um, well, I'll get to, to one other in a little bit. The end of the world scenario. This is something that Stephen King um, definitely has has uh, worked on before, whether it be The Stand, um, a, a very localized version in Under the Dome, uh, in The Gunslinger, in The Mist, in uh, Cell. This is definitely something that we have seen again and again and again. Um, at one point, Eve uh, does not have lines on her palm, which is... Um, something that we have seen before with Randall Flagg. It indicates a supernatural entity is walking among us. Um, and then we have the supernatural trickster locked behind bars right where they want to be while the end of the world scenario rages outside. That's very specific, um, but that's what we saw here. And um, 
We've seen that before in uh, Storm of the Century with Andre Linoge. And then we have some Easter eggs. Um, the first one is the fact that uh, Joe Hill and Peter Straub and Clive Barker are all mentioned. Uh, Joe Hill, um, of course, is Owen King's brother, Stephen King's son. Um, Joe Hill uh, has also collaborated with his father, as has Peter Straub, who um, co-wrote The Talisman and Black House with Stephen King. And Clive Barker is a uh, peer and colleague um, to, to Stephen King, um, who was the, the Ric Flair to um, Stephen King's Hulk Hogan um, in, in, the, in the 80s and 90s, and to still today, Clive Barker, of course, the creator of Pinhead. We have the number 19. Uh, Frank Geary assembles um, 18 other men uh, to storm the prison for a total of 19. And then we have spiders. While playing her cell phone game, Evie makes mention of how the spiders that are attacking her within the game are evil. That, of course, is a shout-out to all the spiders um, that pop up throughout Stephen King's works, most famously... Um, and most recently, in terms of uh, cinematically speaking, um, that would be it. Um, even though we don't see the spider, um, that is probably the most famous spider. Um, so one, one, one final thing before um, the final thoughts. Uh, I, I just couldn't help but think of the um, couldn't help but think of the leftovers as I read this. Um, so for those of you who have not seen the leftovers, it's it's uh, three seasons, three incredible seasons um, that just concluded this past spring. It's a really really good show. Um, the the first season got a lot of flack, um, but famously the second season and third season um, really found its footing. I liked the first season. I thought it 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 did wallow in misery a bit too much. Um, but then again, that's kind of the point. Um, but I, there, season two um, and season three are really, really strong, strong, strong um, seasons of television. But uh, I, I just saw a lot of similarities. And as I was reading it, I just, um, I, I couldn't help but, but, but connect our characters in Sleeping Beauties to the characters in, in The Leftovers, and I just felt that the characters could very easily be played by the actors from The Leftovers. Clint, to me, very easily could be played by Justin Thoreau, um, who played Kevin Garvey. Lila, I just kept picturing Carrie Coon, um, who played Nora Durst. And for those of you who don't know, she is an incredible, incredible actress. She also was in uh, Fargo this past year but she's just awesome and the Nora Durst character from Leftovers is, is one of the strongest rep represent representations of um, a female character that I've I've seen um, in a long time. Um, Frank Geary um, is very similar to to John Murphy from uh, the, the Leftovers and Willie Burke um, Though not a direct correlation, I could very easily see him being played by Scott Glenn, um, soon to be Alan Pangborn um, in in uh, Hulu's upcoming Castle Rock. So I just thought that that was that was interesting. Um, but I mean, there there are also similar themes here. I mean, 
it's an unnatural disaster that occurs the likes of which human society can't handle in the leftovers uh, a large segment of the population just disappears they don't die they just disappear and we don't have the mechanism for 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 handling that emotionally or, or socio-politically we just when someone dies we have procedures that that take over um we, we have organizational structures that tell us what we need to do with the body. We have um, coping mechanisms um, and, 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 and family structures that help us get through it. We have a grieving process. Um, you know, every culture, it's a little bit different. Every religion, it's a little bit different. But they're there for a reason, and that is to carry us through our lives during this incredibly hard part. Um, allow us, us to say goodbye and to ritualize it. And, and so these things are in place when someone dies, but when someone disappears, we what do you do? You don't have it. And that's the point of the leftovers is that there's all of this built up anxiety and fear and frustration and anger and sadness and guilt um, and nowhere to go. It's, it's all of the mourning that you would experience if someone dies, on but then it's tenfold because you just don't know what happened. Um, and, and similarly here, women are dying, but something is happening that you can't explain. And so, so we, we, we do have some, uh, some correlation there. And where the women go uh, um, to, to our place, is, is this where the people of the leftovers went? So it just I, I was thinking of the leftovers a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of time as I was reading this this book, and then we have uh, just our final thoughts. So not only did it make me think of the leftovers, it made me think of the Handmaid's Tale. Um, you know, um, if you liked Sleeping Beauties, you might want to watch the Handmaid's Tale or read the short story. I haven't read it, so I can't say. But um, like I said, Sleeping Beauties is definitely a novel for 2017. It fits in perfectly right now. And The Handmaid's Tale also uh, fits in very well. It is a story that is very much of this time, even though it was written in the 80s. Um, it, it feels like a natural extension, a, a dark sort of black mirror um, examination of what could happen if, uh, if we don't make some changes to, to stop a future from happening. And similarly, the um, Sleeping Beauties also... Uh, just deftly uh, discusses and examines differences between men and women and the, the, the female experience. Um, so, I mean, I would, if you have not seen Handmaid's Tale, I would definitely check it out. So, guys, I am sorry that it took so long for me to get this episode out. Um, but, like I said, life has been pretty busy. Um, but it was good to do this. It was good to reconnect with all of you. Um, and if you haven't done so already, feel free to write into the Stephen King cast at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Um, as, as evidenced by the top of this episode, I love reading your, your emails uh, so that um, anyone listening can, can hear your thoughts. So feel free to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. And like I said, um, <clears throat> I uh, need to get over this 189 uh, uh, reviews hump so please if you have a few free minutes on your, your hands please uh, just write in um, a review at iTunes to, and that would really help me out so guys thank you for everything thank you for listening um, I don't know when I uh, will have a chance to record next episode but there will be another episode um, before the end of the year so be patient stay tuned um, I'll see you then and in the meantime in the meantime may you have 
Long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. Thank you.